slides up there, Mark? There we go. Thank you. Um, thanks for the opportunity to share a little bit about what's been going on on the last trip that I was on. Um, I'm going to share some scripture first before I get into the details of what uh, the trip involved. But before I do that, I'd like you to just open with a word of prayer and then uh, we'll dive straight in. So let's pray. Father, uh, thank you so much for the privilege of serving you. Thank you for being able to gather this morning to worship, to praise, to sit at your feet and to learn. So Father, I just pray that you'll calm our hearts, calm our minds, and allow us to focus on what you have to say this morning. Let all this be to your glory, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to start off with a little bit of scripture. Um, keep this picture in mind for a moment. We're going to come back to not the picture itself, but some of the surroundings around that picture. So there's a little scripture verse I want to share with you from Acts chapter 3. Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple about the ninth hour to pray, and a man who had been lame from his mother's womb was being carried along, whom they used to set down every day at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, in order to beg alms of those who were entering the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, he began asking to receive alms. But Peter, along with John, fixed his gaze on him and said, Look at us. And began to give him his attention, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I do not possess silver or gold, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. With a leap he stood up and began to walk. And he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. So I'm calling this message the walking wounded, and I'm basing this around a couple of different types of walk here. We take walking for granted. We do it every day. We don't even think about it. Unless you've had a broken leg or you hurt yourself or you have some other mobility issue, you don't think about walking. You just do it. But there's the other type of walk that I want to think about as well, and that's our walk of life. That is what we do, how we behave. So let me take you for a moment to Ephesians chapter 5. Therefore, Verse 15, therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time, because the days are evil. So then, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Okay, so what is the will of the Lord? Well, let's look at Matthew 22. And here it says, this is a Pharisee who's asking Jesus, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Well, if you read this in Luke, it goes on to tell the story of the Good Samaritan. But let's add Micah 6, 8. And Micah 6, 8 says, He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice? Love kindness and walk humbly with your God. Well, these instructions are all pretty clear, but what does that look like as part of our walk? Well, for that, let's go to Matthew 25. There we go. I'm sure you're all familiar with this one. Matthew 25, beginning at 35. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. Naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? 
And when did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? The king will answer them and say, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even to the least of them, you did it to me. So let's summarize. What we say in God's word right now basically says, this is what you're supposed to do. Love God and obey his commandments, and if you have the means, help support and defend those who are in need. That's pretty simple. So, what I'd like to do is I'd like to take you back to the walking wounded. That's what I'm calling the folks that I met. Um, so these are some of the least of these, and uh, some of you know about my trip to Columbia, and uh, my response at the time when people asked me about that was, what was it like? And I said, well, it was interesting, it was successful, but it was also very challenging. And it was challenging because of what I saw there, what I experienced there, and uh, what I realized has to be done there. So I'm going to share a bit of that with you. And it's challenging to me, but I'd also like to challenge you a little bit as well. So let me take you to the border of Colombia and Venezuela. The first picture I showed you is on the same street as this one, that one with the bus and the lady walking. This is a little further down the street. And you see this uh, up here, these mountains? That's actually Venezuela. And the border is right about there. It's, it's a short walk down the road. So we were right there at the, uh, the border of Colombia. Um, if you go to this place, you don't find any beggars there. Because everybody's equally poor, and begging for people who are equally poor doesn't really yield anything. So there really aren't any beggars. But there are lots and lots of people selling things. Uh, you can see in this one here, there are all these booths and stands. People set up carts, and they put sticks in the ground, put tarps over them, and they sell anything they can get their hands on. For example, you can buy a bushel of tangerines, and you repackage them in sleeves about this big, put six or eight of them in there. So you buy a, basket, a bushel basket for, I don't know, maybe 50 pesos, and you sell the sleeves for eight pesos each or six pesos each, and you make a little bit of profit. Uh, that's what people are doing. They're just making a little bit enough to, to get a little bit more. I'll show you a little bit more what we do, what they do with that. I'm calling the walking wounded for a couple of reasons. Uh, but before we get into the next picture, which give us a little more detail on that. I just want to share one thing about prayer. Uh, a lot of you were praying for us on our trip, uh, our water master's trip. And uh, when we arrived in the country, we had four suitcases full of Sawyer filters and uh, valves and tubing pipes, uh, chlorinators, battery chargers, all kinds of things with wires. And we expected problems when we got to the border because that often happens. Because when you take your luggage out of the terminal, they x-ray everything before it leaves the building. So they know what's in there. Uh, we got up to the customs, and we were expected to have to pay 50 or $60 U.S. Uh, as an entry visa as well. I get my passport. guy stamps it, hands it back to me, and I walk through. Same with Jeff Merriman, who traveled with me. Stamps the passport, hands it back, and we walk through. No money. Okay. Get to the uh, luggage, pick up our luggage, which came off fairly promptly, put it in the action machine, comes out the other side, and we walk out. It's like, what happened? <laughs> I got through like it was like we were invisible. It was amazing. No money paid, no questions asked. All this suitcases full of equipment and stuff, and we just walked out the door with it. Nobody even looked at it. It was amazing. Exactly what we needed. Thank you, Lord. Anyway, one small example of, of uh, answered prayer. So anyway, um, this is 
a map of the area we were in. And here's part of the problem. There's Venezuela. The economy of Venezuela has collapsed. Their money is worth nothing. People are leaving the country. They're not getting paid. And for their own survival, they're just leaving the country. Well, how do you get out of Venezuela here? Well, you can fly out if you have the money and the resources, except that the flights are now limited because a lot of the air traffic controllers are leaving because they're not getting paid. The other problem is, if you want to leave, you have to get a visa from Venezuela to go into the country you want to get to. Not always available, because they just don't issue visas to anybody and everybody. You have to have the means and the uh, paperwork to do that. So that's a difficult way to do it. Uh, you can drive. Where do you drive to? Well, this Guiana here is really not a whole lot there, but the difficulty with Guiana is it's the only English-speaking country in South America. So if all these Spanish speakers cross in Guiana, they're expected to speak English, and that doesn't work very well for them. And there's not much there anyway. Uh, you could cross here into Brazil, but right here, uh, this is basically the Amazon jungle, which is partly on fire, so there's no point going. And there's no good way to cross anyway. Uh, so how else do you escape the country? Well, you go to Colombia. And there are a couple of crossings in Colombia, one here and one here. This one right there, uh, there's a city there called Cacuta, which is about three-quarters of a million people, and that's where we were. We flew into Bogota, which is the, the capital right there, and Bogota to Kakuta is about the same distance, a little bit more than the distance between Toronto and Montreal. So we flew down to Kakuta, and that's where we met our mission partners there. Once you get into Colombia here, up to the border there, there's really not much there. Uh, so it's a difficult crossing. And then where do you go from there? Well, I'll, I'll share a little bit of that as we get along. But I want to take, I want to just give you an idea of what it's like at the border. First of all, the bridge at the border right there in Kakuta, which is not named as a city there, uh, that bridge is closed to all vehicular traffic. You can't take a truck, you can't take a car, a motorcycle, nothing with an engine crosses the border that shut it down. But you can walk across. So that's what they're doing. They're walking across. So the people from Venezuela that want to leave the country, they're getting to the border any way they can. They're abandoning their vehicles because they can't bring them across. They're selling them if they can, but nobody will buy them because they don't have any money. So they're basically abandoning them. And they walk across the border carrying everything that they own, including their kids. And that's why I call them the walking wounded. They're sore, and they're wounded in other ways too that I'll show you in a few minutes. When they get to the border, what they see is this. You can just pump the sound up a little bit if you want. So what we're looking at here is the border crossing is right, uh, right about, where's my pointer going to? Right about there. And this stream of traffic coming on the left-hand side are people leaving Venezuela. And there are two things that they're doing here. One is they're carrying everything they own or leaving the country permanently, or they're bringing stuff, uh, empty things in to gather more stuff and take it back in. So the traffic on the right are people going back into Venezuela, bringing food, water, supplies, and things that they've managed to find and bringing it back to family members on the other side. Because of the Venezuelan side, there's basically nothing there. They can't find it. There's no supply for it. So this flow of traffic that you see here, going both ways across the border, goes on all day long. They open the border about 8 in the morning, they close it in the evening sometime whenever they feel like it, and thousands of people stream across. Many of them just stay, but others finding stuff to take back. 
like these bags of uh, whatever they are, groceries or water or diapers or anything they can find to take back, they will. So this goes on all day long at the border there. But no cars, no traffic, just people walking. So it's pretty difficult. Um, a lot of them are walking towards Bogota, right there. So when they get to here, there's only one direction to really go, and that's towards Bogota. That's one of the main highways. It's in the Andes Mountains. It's mostly uphill. So they're walking to get to whatever they can out of Bakuda because the resources there are limited. They're looking for another place for opportunity to get settled, find a place to live, find a job, find some food, get a place to sleep, look after, whatever. So remember, that distance from Kakuta to Bogota is 570 kilometers, and they're walking it because they have no other way. So it's a difficult situation that these folks are going through, walking and walking and walking, carrying everything they can. Just think about leaving your family behind because folks that are infirm or elderly or ill or can't walk very well or in wheelchairs, they have a terrible time making this crossing. So sometimes they get left behind. In a lot of cases, the people on the right-hand side here are bringing stuff back in from Colombia to these people that they have to leave behind because that's the only way that they can supply them. This uh, is a water station along the highway on the way to Bogota. And I'll talk a little bit more about that and what happens there. But one of the things they desperately need is foot care because all of this walking wears out their, their shoes, their sandals. And they get foot sores, blisters, and uh, tears in their feet, and their shoes are ruined. So this station actually does foot care along with feeding them, along with providing water. And if they can have any extra flip-flops or whatever they've got, they provide those too. So they're wounded, not only physically, but they're wounded mentally as well because they're leaving their home country, they're leaving their home, sometimes they're leaving relatives, they're leaving good jobs, they're leaving their, uh, their houses and leaving the country because there's nothing there for them. Teachers aren't getting paid, doctors and nurses aren't getting paid. If they do get paid at all, they get paid in bolivars, uh, which are basically worthless. Uh, Chris, I think, mentioned that when he was in uh, Colombia, uh, Venezuela handed him a 20,000 peso note and said, this is more valuable as toilet paper than it is as currency. That's how much their money is worth. There's another scripture verse I want to share with you, though, and that is Luke 12:48. And that says, much is required from those to whom much is given, and much more is required from those who, to whom much more is given. So we have to think about, you know, what do we have in comparison to what others have? And being poor is relative. I am poor compared to Bill Gates, obviously. We will always have relatively poor people. But extreme poverty can be eradicated. In fact, we've made great strides in that. If you look at this chart here, I don't, you don't have to pay too much attention to the numbers. But just look at the, the shape of the graph, for example. This is a 200-year survey of extreme poverty in the world. And you can see it's dropped drastically. 20 years ago, about 30% of the world's population lived in extreme poverty, and that's defined as living on about a dollar and a half or a dollar and change a day, equivalent currency. Um, today, it's less than 10%. So you can see down here where we get to... Uh, 
in that area or 2015 and on, it's down around 10%. So that's fallen from approximately 1.9 billion people who were listed as being in extreme poverty down to only 700 million people that are now living in extreme poverty. And just to put that in context, that's about 20 times the population of Canada that are still living in extreme poverty. What's the point? Well, we've been given very much, and God expects us to use our resources to help others, to fulfill Matthew 25. But there are so many needs. How can I make a difference? Well, you can make a difference, even if it's just to one person. Let me give you some examples. On our trip, we had a, a threefold mission. The first was to seek opportunities to bring clean water for the time we were there and for future trips. The second was we were looking to install at least one water purifier at our waste from water station that was being run by YWAM that's new for the mission. And thirdly, we were going to train uh, some Venezuelan, Venezuelan pastors uh, that we had brought coordination systems for. And we were going to teach them how to use them, teach them how to install them, and let them take them back into Venezuela with them. So let me share some pictures with you of what all that looked like. This one here, We'll start in the uh, upper left here. This big warehouse-looking building is right on the same street as the very first picture I showed you, the one with the title, Walking Wounded and the Lady Walking Towards It. This is the same street. If you walk towards that lady and keep going, you get right to the border. It's about a five-minute walk. It's really not very far. This is an old abandoned warehouse that a gentleman, a pastor, has taken over and turned into a church. But it's just basically a big empty building. They have tables in there. They have chairs they can set up. They have a feeding station. They have just a, basically a plywood box counter type thing where they make meals. They have a couple of bathrooms and a place to store stuff. So this building here serves as a sanctuary, shelter, church, feeding station, water station, and waypoint as well. They have hundreds of people come in there every day. This picture here is one of their lunches they put on. So whatever food they can gather that's donated, they'll make a meal out of it for as many people as they can get in the door. And it's, it's like magic. People seem to know when that meal is ready. They just open the door and it lines up with people waiting to get in. You can see them here just coming in the door here and they find a seat and they immediately get started serve uh, a tray of a meal, whatever they have for the day. When the tables are all full, they shut the door. They don't let anybody else in because there's no place for them to sit and they wait until people have uh, finished their meal and they let more people in. And they just keep doing that. They just keep opening the door. When people leave, they just let more in and they let more in. When the food is gone, people just leave. They look out the door and they're all gone. They just know the food's gone for now and they leave. But they come back again later. They either come later for the church service that they do, and he typically has three to five hundred people cram this place for a church service, and he usually only sees them once or twice and then they're gone. They leave. The other thing he does is he opens up at night for people to sleep on the floor if they have no place else to show them. The concrete floor, they can sleep on whatever they brought with them, duffel bag, sleeping bag, whatever they've got. Usually it's not much. And they just park themselves on that concrete floor there and spend the night. Because when they cross the border from Kakuta into Colombia, at Kakuta from Venezuela into Colombia, um, it's basically like you come across the border and it's like, okay, now what do I do? There's no hotels here. I don't have any money anywhere. Um, there's a few shelters here and there that I can 
need to find a place in. Well, there's a park there. I can sleep in the park. Um, where's the toilets? Well, there aren't any. You have to scrounge around to find any kind of a banyos anywhere. There are toilets in here that they let people use. What do I do for clean water? Uh, well, this building has a, a tap on the outside of the building where you can fill your bottle, but it's not purified water. It's filtered, but it's not purified. It's still contaminated water. What do I do with my children? What do I do for food? You're on your own. I'm, I'm sorry. That's, that's the way the situation is for these people. It's very, very difficult for them. So this church feeding station, water station, shelter is an amazing place. Uh, one of the things that we did, and part of the story I'm showing you here, is we took uh, a whole bunch of these Sawyer filters with us. And uh, Sawyer filter is an amazing little device. You attach this hose end to a bucket with a fitting. And you put dirty water in the top bucket, and it just runs through here, and it runs out there into another bucket, and it makes dirty, contaminated water into clean, pure drinking water. I've used it. It works great. Um, these things are not very expensive, but they're slow. And you can only make enough water for, like, one family or a small group of people. But we have a whole bunch of them with us. But we needed buckets to hook them up to. So we asked the pastor there, he said, is there any place where you can get some buckets? He said, come with me. And he takes us to this dark storeroom, and he says, you want buckets? i got all these buckets. What do you want to do with them? <laughs> you know where these buckets came from? It's an amazing thing. These buckets came from an organization in Cambridge, Ontario, called the Gleaners. And the Gleaners, they collect leftover foodstuffs from restaurants and uh, grocery stores and wherever. They can, you know, carrots, potatoes, squash, whatever they can find. And then they uh, dried food out of it. And they put it in packages and containers, and they stuff those packages into buckets, and they send them all over the world. This church had a whole pile of these buckets that they were using to make food there, right from Ontario. Amazing. So we gathered up a whole bunch of buckets, and we started drilling holes in them, and we installed the, the Sawyer filters in them to make um, water filters for that area. We gave them all to the pastor, and he said, I know exactly where to take those. He said, I got a shelter here, I got a a group of people there, and he knew where all those uh, buckets go, so that was incredible. Um, I do want to share this one little clip here. This is the Ontario Gleaners, and I, what I did was I went online and I grabbed their video and I butchered it and cut it down from six or eight minutes to like a minute or less. It just gives you a very quick idea of what the Gleaners do. But it was such an amazing God incidence that we were provided these buckets from an organization in Ontario that had sent them there. So those are the packages of goods. There's the buckets they packed them into. And there's the kids they feed with these, uh, some of the kids that they feed with these uh, food, uh, food products. So it's an amazing thing. Anyway, moving on. The second part of our mission there was to provide a uh, water purification system at a way station along the highway. That road that runs from Kukuta to Bokata is a major highway, runs through the mountains, and there are people walking along there all the time. You can see right here, there's a group right there just leaving this water station. These tents uh, are called Tents of Hope. These are all set up by Youth of the Mission, and uh, they also get food from wherever they can scrounge it, local produce they buy, that sort of stuff, and they make rice and beans and soup and those things, and they serve meals there, and they also have water tanks there. Now, if you look over at this one here, this is along the highway. This mountain, this hill here, is growing coffee. And the owner of that plantation is irrigating this coffee from a river that you can't see just behind the tent here. 
and they have a pump and a hose in the river, and they pump water up the mountain, and they irrigate their coffee. And they said, can we use some of the water? And they said, sure, hook up your line to the pump here, and you can have all the water you want. It comes out of the river, so it's not purified. It's not really drinkable. So Operation Blessing put these tanks in with filters. But they're just paper filters and charcoal filters, and they take it, the dust and sand out of it, and the sticks and things, but they don't purify the water. It doesn't take out the bacteria. It doesn't take out any of the viruses or anything else that makes people sick. So what we did was we installed right there an ML100 chlorinator, and we also put an extra 500-liter tank in. And uh, when we left that station, they had uh, 1,250 liters of clean drinking water. We also discovered along the way that one of the things they did was they were taking water and they were freezing it into in grocery bags, basically. And they were using that to make lemonade with powdered lemonade. So when I saw them take this frozen water, I thought, where are you getting that from? Obviously, it was out of the river. It even looked brown. And they put it in this big container and started adding water and uh, putting powdered lemonade. And I said, you know, you're just adding contaminated water now to the clean water. It was a safe way. And it's like, a light went off. like, oh, yeah. We've got frozen water here. It's still the same water. <laughs> we have to freeze the clean water, not the dirty water. So, yeah, anyway. So, um, Operation Blessing is doing a great job there. They're providing foot care. They're providing food. They're providing water. And uh, the other piece of this was while we were there, we needed to uh, not only install that coronator, but we needed to teach those pastors that came with us how to run it. So. We rented a van, and we took these guys down there, and we rented a truck, and we hauled down uh, foundation stuff to build the platform for it, and the containers and all the other stuff we needed to build the, the coordinator, and uh, doing some teaching here on how to install them. Uh, there's, uh, right there, we're doing a water test to show them that it's uh, got the correct chlorine amount. There's the coordinator. There's the uh, bucket that we had the, the dirty water in, and uh, once we got that thing running, we went to So I drank water out of that river through this, was fine. No problems at all. This is the team that was there doing the, uh, the uh, learning and training, and these are the five pastors. This uh, guy here and his wife, uh, she's a medical doctor, and uh, he's a pastor, and there's the coordinator kits that we left with them, and they got certificates that they learned how to use these and, uh, and put them in operation. Then when I got back, one of them had my email, and uh, his name was Carlos, and Carlos sent me a picture this picture here of them back in Venezuela with one of the setups, and uh, they got their coordinator running and making water. Part of their problem was that we had to provide them with everything. So not only did we provide them with the coordinator, but we also provided them with a car battery and a charger uh, because they couldn't get them uh, at any reasonable price in Venezuela. So now they've got a coordinator, which is about big, big, and they've got a car battery, which is equally big and heavy, and a charger and all the other tools and equipment that goes along with it, all of the peripheral accessories, they have to get that back into Venezuela now without it being confiscated. Because if you cross the border with anything that's valuable, and a soldier or a military person finds you with that, they'll confiscate it for their own purposes, just because they can. So they had to, uh, we had to buy uh, these plastic woven grocery bags, and we put all the stuff in there. We put a battery in this one, and a coordinator in that one, and we had them all in different bags, and we spread them out around all of these people here and said, you carry two each, and hide yourself in the crowd. And you walk across the border, just cross like you're carrying grocery bags, and smuggle yourself back. And they did. That was successful. Everyone got across. Nothing got confiscated. And the coordinators are now being set up and used. So there they are in action. So.
But let me share this verse with you as well. Proverbs 31.8. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. Ensure justice for those who are perishing. Yes, speak up for the poor and helpless and see that they get justice. And that's what I'm doing today. I'm drawing your attention to a situation that not very many people are talking about. And the reason people are not talking about it is twofold. One is it's been going on for over a year now, and so the news cycles have kind of petered out and it's not really news anymore, even though it's still happening. The other reason is that the Venezuelan media has uh, control over what's released and they don't say much about it. They don't want to admit there's a problem. In fact, that's one of the reasons why they closed the border to traffic, because you can't get food aid or any other kind of aid in by truck, because then it would be admitting there's a problem, and they won't do that. But four to five million people have left Venezuela and fled to other countries. About two million of them have gone into Colombia. The numbers aren't exact because they change by the hour. So it's a big problem. But this is not the only country in crisis. Nicaragua's had big problems lately, too. It's been going on for quite a while. And it's mainly because of uh, the Ortega government trying to control the economy. They've actually taken away some of the money that was designated for people's pensions, and they was protesting, and uh, we have a partner there by the name of uh, Rafael Alvarado, and uh, he had to flee for his life because he was told the military were after him. In fact, he knew somebody in the military, and they phoned him and said, Rafael, you've got to leave now. They're coming for you. If they get you, you're not going to get out. So he left. He fled the country. He drove to Honduras, and he's still there. Had to leave his family behind. That's Rafael there. That's his mother, Felina. Um, he left his family behind, and eventually he got them out. On one of the days that we were in Columbia, we were texting back and forth with Raphael. Barry, you know that you were part of this as well. Uh, 3 o'clock this afternoon, our folks are going to cross the border. Pray for us, pray for us. So we did. We prayed hard, and he got his family across, and now they're all safely in Honduras. But they have to leave everything behind. The ministry is there, all the tools and equipment, they're home. So mom and dad, Catalina uh, and uh, Omar are going back uh, because they feel they'll be safe and uh, they want to look after what they've left behind. So poverty is not equally distributed and it's not fair either. It's uh, a lot more vicious in some countries than others. Some countries that used to be very poor are now flourishing. India is an example. A lot of places in India are doing very well. There's some countries where there's pockets of extreme poverty. Others where it's uh, not so noticeable. I mean, you can think about countries like Haiti where it's been terrible for a long time. So what can we do? What's the application here? Well, the application is as follows. You can find an organization that's working in any of these countries and you can support it. Now, pick a country in need. So it's in Venezuela, Colombia, there's lots of places that you can find out through our missions team where these things are happening. You could donate to water ambassadors and support the work that we do there. Uh, these solar filters are, I think we buy them in bulk for about $35. The retail prices probably double that. But that's not a whole lot of money. That's like a coffee a day. You could go on a water trip. They're listed on the website. Uh, lots of opportunities for that. You could donate to Lakeside Mission Fund. And that handout you got today shows a, a lot of the missions that we're supporting here. You could support them all by supporting our missions fund as well. You could sponsor a child through Compassion. There's plenty of Compassion kids that are available in Colombia and other countries, especially in Central and South America. You could talk to your friends and tell them what you've learned today. And probably most important, you can pray for those that are 
frontline workers. Pray for those people in need, those that are suffering and uh, waiting for something to happen. You could also go on, uh, if you want to walk, uh, the Scotiabank Walk for Charity, Water Masters is participating in that. And you can be part of that too. It's on October 20th. And if you want more details on that, you can talk to myself or Barry and Heather. So we'll give you more details on what's going on there as well. Anyway, let me leave you with these verses. We know what real love is because Christ gave up his life for us, and so also ought to give up our lives for our Christian brothers and sisters. But if anyone has enough money to live well and sees his brother or sister in need and refuses to help, how can God's love be in that person? In Proverbs 3.27, Do not withhold good from those who deserve it when it's within your power to help them. If you can help your neighbor now, don't say, come back tomorrow and I'll help you then. So it's pretty clear that God has given us a mandate to help others, and he's given us lots of opportunity to do that, to be his hands and feet here and now. Now, I'm not trying to make you feel guilty. A lot of you are doing many of these things already. A lot of you are participating in, in many ways. I'm just here to remind us that there are still lots of needs, and collectively we can do more. So I'd like to thank you for your support for the missions that we have in on. Thank you for uh, supporting water ambassadors, but also our other missions. And now I'd like to ask you to continue on for the glory of God. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, there are so many needs in this world, and it seems like an impossible task. But if you just look at the numbers, we have done a great deal of work in reducing poverty, and, but there's still so much more to do. So we just pray, Lord, that you'll speak to our hearts and minds as we open our hearts, open our wallets, and uh, open our time and our calendars as well to help you and to support these folks that are in such desperate need. To fulfill the mandate that you have given us. To provide a cup of water for those that are in need, the least of these that are your brothers and sisters. So, Lord, thank you for the opportunity to serve. Thank you for this time together today. We just pray that you'll... Bless the rest of our day and go with us in Jesus' name. Amen.